You don't know flag. You Don't Know Flat, a podcast full of stories about retro gaming, retro computing, video games, arcade games, and technology from a guy who was there and still is. My name is Rob O'Hara, but for the next 30 minutes, you can call me Flat. Greetings and salutations, listeners, and welcome to episode 216 of You Don't Know Flack. Today is April 24th, and I am your host, Rob Flack O'Hara. On today's episode of You Don't Know Flack, we will be talking about van life. Now, one of the problems with van life is that it's very easy to misplace things. And I wrote down this episode's notes on paper, but I don't know where I put the paper. So while I dig around in the van for my notes, we'll have a little bit of time to chat on this week's Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Loading Time. Welcome back to another episode of You Don't Know Flack. Last weekend was Easter, and I hope everyone had an enjoyable Easter. I'm less concerned with how people spend or celebrate holidays and more concerned that they had an enjoyable time, that they got to spend time with family and friends. So whether that was at home hunting Easter eggs, whether that was at church, whether you just had friends over for ham and deviled eggs, which is a staple at our house every Easter or any combination of those things. I hope you had a enjoyable weekend and that you're having an enjoyable spring. One of the things I have been spending more time than usual on this spring is my mister. Now, if you're not familiar, the mister is the FPGA computer. It doesn't emulate other systems. It simulates systems. And uh, instead of emulators, what we typically talk about on a computer, this has cores. And there have been uh, some new cores released. One of the new cores is the Sega uh, 32X. I was not a big fan. or not, not that I wasn't a fan. I just wasn't exposed to the 32X at the time of its release, I was aware of the Star Wars 32X game, which I picked up later because I was collecting every boxed Star Wars home console video game that I could find. So I bought it even though I didn't have a 32X. But there is a new 32X core available for the Mister. So I have been checking that out. The PlayStation, the original PS1 or PSX, as some of us old school PlayStation fans refer to it as, has continued to get better. It gets better every day. It gets better 10 times a day. And there's, I don't know when the actual date is, but it's about to be moved into the regular distribution to test it right now to, to play it while to play PlayStation games. While it has been in beta, you had to go through some different hoops. At one time you had to download an unstable build onto your mister and manually install the core and create the directories. But I believe it's about to all become mainstream. So it'll be great when that happens. There were so many great original PlayStation games. And for me, the original PlayStation was this cross, uh, it was a combination where all these different genres came together. I normally 
like to think of my favorite era as 16-bit gaming. Not not my favorite era. Of course, I love Commodore 64 and a lot of 8-bit games. But the 16-bit games, in a lot of ways, were just better versions of 8-bit games. You had platform games uh, on the Amiga that were similar to the Commodore 64 but just looked better or uh, Sega um, – Genesis or Super Nintendo, where you you were just getting uh, better looking and better sounding games, but similar in style or genre that we saw on 8-bit machines. Now, on the PlayStation, we had all kinds of games. There was – we started getting these 3D platform-type games, which, of course, I think were more popular on the Nintendo 64. That's where I first – because of Super Mario 64 is where I first – saw that. I'll never forget the moment I saw that. But PlayStation had these 3D platformers. Of course, you got Crash Bandicoot, you know, uh, those type of games. But you've got racing games. You've got a lot of still 2D platform games. I remember there's the uh, Load Runner game on the PlayStation, which takes place more in a jungle. But that was a lot of fun. So there's just just all kinds of games available for the original PlayStation. I remember the library was was pretty large compared to a lot of other consoles. So I'm really looking forward to revisiting the PlayStation and going through and and just playing. Every time, you know, I I do this, I get excited about a a console or a platform. I think I'm going to play every PlayStation game. <laughs> and I go back and I play the ones that I enjoy. I have the uh PlayStation Mini hooked up to the same monitor and my plan was to install 100 games and try them all. And the first one I played was Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2, which is probably my favorite PlayStation 1 game of all time. And one of my top 10 favorite arcade games or video games of all time. And that's all I ever play. So I really want to break out of that uh, secure area of just playing the games that I know and that I'm familiar with and that I know I'll like and try the other ones and not just give up, like read the instructions and actually get in there and play the game. So and I'm hoping to use the Mr. Platform as a way to do that. I also saw a comment recently. There's been a lot of talk in my immediate circles lately about the Apple II GS. I saw it mentioned on the ARG Presents, uh, which is a not only a podcast on the Amigos Network, but it's also a uh, Twitch live video show that also gets archived onto YouTube. So you can watch videos of ARG Presents or you can listen to it in audio format, whichever way you like to enjoy programs. They recently played some Apple IIGS games on their show. I have tried different Apple IIGS emulators on the PC and none of them are polished is the way I would put it. None of them are point and click like the way that other emulators often feel mature. They don't really feel mature to me. And I saw a comment on the Mr. Discord that said someone is working on an Apple II GS core. I don't know the maturity of it. I don't know how far along they are, but that would be fantastic. That is definitely there aren't that many holes as far as 8-bit and 16-bit systems go on the Mister. So, but that is one that's missing that would be really appreciated. So, I hope to see development on that uh, continue. That would be a great addition to the Mister. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is that I got a UPS 
for my computer, the computer that I record all my podcasts on and that I use 90 to 95% of the time is a seven-year-old desktop, like a tower PC. It's not a laptop. I have a laptop, but that's not what I do my recording on. When I replace this machine, I may replace it with a laptop, but I'll make that decision later. But the problem with living in Oklahoma is that we have high winds, especially in the spring. And these high winds always cause my power to go out. Also, we have big storms. <laughs> we have tornado-like weather. We have tornadoes. And those things also occasionally cause my power to go off. So my power probably flickers on and off once or twice a month, uh, maybe more in the spring, maybe less, but it's definitely a problem. And it's a big problem when you're trying to work on podcasts, record shows, look up information, type up notes. Now I have switched all my note writing to Google docs. And one of the reasons I did that was because as I do my notes, they're saved in real time. So if my power goes out and the computer resets, I haven't lost all my work, but I have a bad habit of cutting and pasting text into random notepad windows, which I've tried to switch to using OneNote, which I don't love, but OneNote also saves data in real time, or using the built-in Windows sticky notes, which also uh, are persistent, so they'll come back after a reboot, because I have lost tons and tons of information and things I've written that were just sitting in notepad windows that I hadn't got around to saving yet. So I've needed to put a UPS on this machine for a long time and I never got around to it. And with this month's Patreon funds, I literally took the funds and went to Amazon and finally bought a UPS for this computer. Now, if you listened to my other last month's podcast, uh, for like a DOS, I had recorded the entire podcast and was in the process of saving the show and walked away and the power went out and our power was out for two hours. And for two hours, I had to sit here wondering whether or not it, it would had finished saving before the power flickered off. And so it turned out that it had, so I did, I was able to save the recording, but that was the incident that really pushed me over the edge. I've thought about buying one for a long time. And in my head, UPSs are several hundred dollars, which uh, there are many models that are, but I only needed something that would run my PC tower. Uh, and so I found one for less than a hundred dollars on Amazon. It's APC brand, which I'm familiar with. I have another APC for my server rack and, and my NAS. So, but this is a much smaller unit, but all it has to do is, uh, run my tower and my monitors long enough for me to save what I'm doing and shut down. Actually, it'll run everything for half an hour or longer, but I don't need it to run that long. All I need to do is uh, be able to save my data if the power goes out and the power doesn't normally go out here for like five or 10 minutes. It either goes out for one or two seconds or for multiple hours. So if it, if it goes off and doesn't come back on, I know that there's going to be a, a couple of hours where the power is out. So this will give me enough time to save what I'm doing, close everything, everything down gracefully and do that. But that, 
was a direct result of uh, Patreon, of the patrons that support the show. So thank everybody who supports the show. Of course, if you listen to the very end of the show, uh, I read everybody's names, and it's not out of obligation. It is out of gratitude uh, because those are the people that – uh, support the show and keep things going. And that money goes back into the show to make things better. And that will definitely, uh, is something that will make things better to me. So thank everybody for that. And speaking of Patreon, I have another Patreon question of the month. And this one comes from Nermix, who is my newest Patreon supporter and my newest 16 bit Patreon supporter, which is the highest tier. And those of you that are 16 bit supporters know that gives you the opportunity to ask me a question that I will read and answer on one of my shows. Nermix, by the way, is one of the hosts of the Intellivisionaries podcast, along with Rick Reynolds, who is also one of my patrons. So if you're not listening to the Intellivisionaries, look at that. Being a Patreon supporter gets you a free plug. <laughs> Uh, I've been listening to the Intellivisionaries for many, many years. It's a, a great show. It is a long show. The shows sometimes uh, stretch for three, four, five hours, I believe, in length. So I don't normally listen to them in one sitting. I often listen to them over multiple days. But uh, they go into super deep dives, not on just in television games, but all sorts of technical stuff. And listening to the guys talk is, is always entertaining. So, uh, if you don't listen to the Intellivisionaries, you should definitely check it out. Nermix says my son who is 12 years old now and will be 13 in July, uh, doesn't enjoy a lot of the things that he has shared. I'm, par I'm paraphrasing here. I should just read this. It says, uh, I know your two kids are older, which my kids are 16 and 20, but I'm curious how you felt about and or dealt with this. Much to my wife's bemusement, I kept a lot of the toys from my childhood. Over the years, I have shared most of them with my son, toys, games, movies, and other things that I enjoyed as a kid. Some of them he has been interested in and some of them not at all. And so his question to me was how what are some of my experiences with those same things? And some of the specific things he mentioned were video games, Lego slot cars, hot wheels, and music production. Those are all things that he was interested in and has tried to uh, expose his 12 year old son to, but his son has not been as interested in those things as he was, or that uh, Nermix is and that Nermix had hoped his son would be. And I can tell you, I have had the exact same experience when my wife was pregnant with my son. My son was not born yet. <laughs> uh, there was on Cartoon Network a 24-hour Scooby-Doo marathon. Now, to date this story, this would have been in uh, the year 2000. My wife was pregnant, and I did not have a way to record that digitally off of cable, but I did have a VCR. And so I recorded 24 hours, so four six-hour tapes at six-hour speed, four tapes full of Scooby-Doo. And I just knew that when my son was born, that he would love Scooby-Doo because when I was a kid, I loved Scooby-Doo. Who among us did not love Scooby-Doo as a kid? 
It was Scooby-Doo is like the, I don't even want to say a, I was going to say it's like a roller coaster because there's scares and thrills, but ultimately, you know, you're safe, but it's like a kid roller coaster. It's like the little tiny roller coaster that we used to see at the fair that would have a couple of different loops and the kids would go around a few times and they would get off. And Scooby-Doo is like that. It has little tiny scares with ghosts and things like that that aren't really that scary. But we know that at the end of the show, uh, Scooby is not going to get uh, lost and that the uh, mystery, you know, the gang is not going to, uh, you know, not solve the mystery or get killed or anything like that. We know it's going to end up good, right? And so as a kid, I just enjoyed that feeling of watching that and kind of, you know, a little bit of horror with monsters and things like that. And so I just knew he was going to like it. And I don't think that my son watched that tape once. I don't think that he ever watched that. And it wasn't just Scooby-Doo. It was my childhood of cartoons that I enjoyed. I enjoyed Popeye. I enjoyed... Uh, Pink Panther. I enjoyed Tom and Jerry. I really enjoyed Woody Woodpecker and even other things like the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. All, none of that. They didn't, weren't interested in neither, neither of my children were interested in any of my childhood cartoons. By the time they were old enough to watch cartoons, I mean, you know, two or three years old, uh, they went right to SpongeBob. That was when SpongeBob was just exploding and they never looked back. They were not interested in my old, janky 70s and 80s cartoons, which, by the way, I still watch and still enjoy. I have lots and lots of cartoons on my media server. Anytime I see these cartoon box sets, I bought um, the entire box set of, of uh, Daria. Uh, it, was, it was nothing. It was like $10 for the entire run. And I put them all on the media server and I showed it to the kids and they just rolled their eyes, you know, not, not interested. And that's relatively late for a lot of the things I watch, but I've picked up collections of, you know, Tom and Jerry collections and Looney Tunes collections and, and tried to expose it to it. They're just not interested in that. And on top of that, I will say my kids have zero interest in physical media of any kind. I had saved, of course, VHS tapes at that time. I had a huge collection of DVDs. I had CDs. Uh, I still had some cassette tapes. I have vinyl records. My kids are not interested in any sort of physical media. They're not interested in collecting it, and they're not interested in using it. Uh, I had a friend who was moving from here to Dallas and I took my son when he was 10 or 11 with me. We went to go see my friend before he left. And my friend had this, you remember those wooden uh, CD shelves that had were made like out of dowels <laughs> that would hold your CDs at a 45 degree angle. They had, you know, two wooden sides and then dowels that, that ran left to right that supported the CDs. He had one of those that was full of CDs that had 500 CDs on it. And he told my son he could have him. And my son just shrugged his shoulder, you know, and, 
And before we left, he said, do I have to take him? And I said, no, you don't have to take him. He's offering you all these CDs. It would be a music collection, you know? And my son was not interested. Uh, he wasn't not just interested in the CDs. I mean, he wasn't interested because it was a physical thing, but he was also not interested because that's not the way kids find or listen to music. My kids listen to Spotify. My kids think Pandora is outdated. <laughs> they only want to listen to Spotify. I was like, I'm still trying to figure out Pandora. I'm not switching to Spotify, although I have both of them on my phone. Uh, but 99% of what I listen to on my phone are the 5,000 or so MP3s that I have copied to my phone and podcasts. That's what I listen to on my phone. So, uh, but that's just how they are. They're not, they don't, discover music through CDs. They discover music through YouTube and through, uh, television shows or, or movies, things like that. So it's just a complete different way of thinking. But yeah, I really, you know, I saved a lot of those things. I saved CDs. I saved, uh, uh, you know, movies and things like that. And they, I mean, my kids have never put a, eh, that's not true. I was going to say they've never put a DVD in a DVD player, but when we, when they were young, we had a DVD player in our van. And so, uh, they didn't actually insert the movies into because the player was in the front. So, but they have watched DVDs, but I don't, they've never purchased one. They've never owned one. They've never received one as a gift. No physical media at all. When we lived two houses ago, when I had my arcade in the backyard, I had uh, a building, of course, that was separate from my house. It was it was there when we bought the house, and that's the building that we turned into an '80s arcade. At the at the most, it had thirty arcade cabinets in it. I have been to many arcades that had less arcade machines than I have in my or had in my backyard, and. My son had a birthday party, invited some friends over, and I went out there and I set it all up like a party room. And the kids went out there and they played arcade games for five minutes. And my son pulled me aside and said, we really want to go inside and play Wii. <laughs> and I was like, you know, you do what your kids want, right? You do because, and that's what his friends wanted to play. And that's what he wanted to play. Because that's what they knew was the Wii. And so this was like being made to go to an old person museum. That's what it was like for them. I couldn't believe that they were not interested. I had 30 games on free play. I had Gauntlet out there. I had Pac-Man out there. I had all these games set up. And they were just not interested. They wanted to come in and play Wii. So I have definitely experienced what you have gone through. I had the same experience with Lego. I suppose if I told one other story, it would be this. Uh, when the Star Wars prequels were coming out uh, during one of them, and I want to say it was probably the third Revenge of the Sith, probably. Uh, that would be about the right age. McDonald's had a promotion where they were giving away 30 different star Wars toys. And I'm sure if you've ever been to a garage sale, you've run across at least one of them. There was a lot of them look like bobbleheads. Like there was an Anakin with a bigger head. There's a stormtrooper riding on top of an AT-AT. 
there's ones of, uh, you know, Boba Fett's ship. There's ones of the Millennium Falcon. I mean, there are all these different toys. And I grew up loving Star Wars and I love Star Wars so much. And Star Wars was, Star Wars is not a thing I love. Star Wars was a part of who I am. And I knew my kids would love Star Wars. Uh, when my son was born, uh, my wife had to leave the, the room. They had to take her out of the room. She had some medical issues. And I was left in the room with a newborn baby. I mean, this is a kid that's hours old. And, and I said, what do I do? And they said, well, I guess you hold it and you talk to it. And I said, that seems like sound advice. And I <laughs> laid on the guest love seats couch thing that was in the room with a four hour old or two hour old baby on my chest. And the only story I could think of to tell him was the story of star Wars. And I started talking about how Darth Vader had come in and they had captured <laughs> princess Leia's ship. I mean, I'm just telling this whole story like it is a child story because that it was a story that I knew from beginning to end by heart. So when Mason was uh, four or five, McDonald's had this promotion and I didn't, I waited a little bit and I didn't want to go to McDonald's and buy all these toys one at a time. So six months later, I went on eBay and I found someone selling not only all 30 promotional Star Wars toys, but also the cardboard display that was at a McDonald's. It was unassembled. So it was an entire set. It was like the display set the cardboard thing that that a standee that was five foot tall and it had 30 little cubby holes in it where you put the toys and it had all 30 toys. Um, I don't remember what I paid for it. I want to say more than 50, but less than a hundred somewhere in there. And so I bought that and I opened all 30 of them and I put them all in the things and I set them up uh, for Mason and he loved it. He thought it was the greatest thing. At least I thought and at one point, I mean, this was not long after that, uh, you know, within a year I was in my room and I was setting up toys or something on shelves, arranging something. And Mason brought in this plastic tub with all 30 of those toys. And he said, dad, I, and this is a five-year-old. He said, you like star Wars more than I do. So I want to give these to you. And I said, well, buddy, I bought those for you to play with. And he said, I don't want them. <laughs> I want you to put them with your star Wars stuff. And uh, that was tough because, you know, like I said, uh, star Wars is a part of my childhood. It is, uh, I can't disassociate my childhood from Star Wars. Every part of, you know, when I was a kid, I, I have memories that relate to Star Wars in some way of getting a toy every birthday, every holiday, you know, going to the movies with my dad, with my family, all those things. And so, you know, I guess I was trying to give my kid that feeling like that childhood feeling to him, but he didn't have that experience and he gave it back to me. And this is true. He put them in a plastic tub with a little lid on it and brought it to me. And I put the tub in my closet and we've moved twice and I've never reopened it. It's sitting in my closet with all 30 of those toys. I don't have the heart to throw them away, but 
uh, he doesn't want them. And I, I don't have any sentimental attachment. Maybe I do, but in a different way, I don't have a sentimental attachment to the toys, but I have a sentimental attachment to the experience. So anyway, that is a long winded way of saying I have experienced that. Now, the good news is as my kids get older, what has become, I, I would say if there's a silver lining is that they've found their own interests. My son uh, is very musical. He has a guitar and he's played, I mean, he's learning all these things online. He's learned to play the banjo. <laughs> he's learned to play the ukulele. Uh, he, at one point learned to ride a unicycle. These are things that I did not do as a kid and that he has found his own interest and gone off and done. So, uh, and I'm sure maybe someday when he has a kid, he'll buy his kid a tiny unicycle and that kid will have no interest. And then we'll be full circle with this story. But, um, but so that, that is the thing that has been my experience is that I went through the same thing and I, I don't think it's something about my children or your children. I think in children in general, I think my parents didn't have me watch Dungeons and Dragons. My parents didn't have me play Dragon's Lair. Those were things that I did as a kid, and that's why I have such good memories of those things. Uh, and so you really just can't pass that. But the good thing is is that your kids, you know, eventually they make their own memories of stuff like that. And sometimes those memories uh, don't line up with the ones that we wanted them to have, but that's okay. Um, my son loves Pokemon. He still, I mean, he's 20 and he's excited that there's a, you know, new Pokemon switch game. He got it for Christmas. And, you know, to me, like, I don't get it. <laughs> it's not my thing, but I enjoy the fact that he enjoys it. So that, that's what makes me happy. Not the, not the, um, I thought what would make me happy is him liking what I liked, but what turned out, what makes me happy is that him finding the things that he liked. So that's what I would have to say about that. Thank you uh, very much for the thought provoking question, Nermix. And uh, the reason I answered Nermix's question on the air is because he is one of my supporters on Patreon. So if you would like to find out more about supporting my shows, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara for more details. All of my patrons get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly rando Rob videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. If you would like to support my shows but Patreon's not your bag, the best thing you could do for me is share links to my shows on social media and leave reviews on iTunes, which no one has done in many years. <laughs> and I don't know that it really helps, but I feel uh, every podcaster is contractually obligated to say that, and so I I do too. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on my podcast hotline, which is 405 486 YDKF. And it just so happens that I had stuck the notes right up here in my visor. Here they are as I unfold them. You think this show doesn't have a budget? Listen to that fully, buddy. <laughs> so with the notes pulled out of my visor's pocket, let's begin this show's episode where we will discuss van life.
Now, although it seems a little morbid and sad in retrospect, the first time I heard the term van life, and specifically I heard it referred to as hashtag van life, was because of the Gabby Petito case. Now, I'm sure because everyone was sitting at home in 2021 and watching the news 24-7 that you are familiar with the Gabby Petito case where she and her boyfriend at the time had gone on this road trip. She ended up missing. Unfortunately, uh, she was killed and her husband took his own life. It was a very sad story. But I... One of the things that that story exposed me to was this idea of van life. Now, I didn't know anything about van life at the time. I'd never heard this term. Uh, and again, a lot of times you hear people say hashtag van life. Now, we all know what a hashtag is. It's a tag that you use on social media that groups things together. Uh, similar topics or posts that have similar topics. And and it's uh, it used to be. I thought it was it originated on Twitter, but it, of course it applies now to Facebook and Instagram and, and uh, lots of different social media sites. Now, I had heard of people taking road trips in RVs and even people living for certain lengths of time in RVs. It's not a big deal. Uh, and so I just assumed that van life was that people living in RVs. Then I saw some of these vans online and I thought, okay, well they're smaller RVs. So they're, you know, large vans, uh, slash small RVs. I didn't really fully get it, but van life is a lot more than that. Van life is a lifestyle. Van life is a movement I would say van life is a conscious decision, a conscious choice to embrace a specific type of lifestyle. That's probably the best I can explain it in the beginning. <laughs> uh, you know, my concept, when people told me people are living in vans, I, I didn't even understand at the time that they were living in the vans. I thought this was just temporary, like vacationing. I thought people were vacationing or taking road trips in vans. I didn't understand that people were actually living in their vans. So when someone told me, no, they live in their vans, of course, the very first punchline we all go to is Chris Farley <laughs> in Saturday Night Live uh, about him living in a van down by the river. So uh, it, it was... Um, I think there is a stigma that I had and that a lot of people have in that people are forced into moving into van life. Van life would be something that happens to you rather than a choice that you make, but that's not the case. And so I'm going to talk about a lot of different aspects of van life in this episode. I don't own a van, so I don't want to present myself as an expert in regards to having personal experience with van life. What I will tell you, and anyone who knows me and the people immediately around me will tell you, is that when I find out about something that I find interesting, I hyper fixate on it. I have watched somewhere, it's probably exaggerating to say thousands, but 
many, many hundreds of videos on YouTube about van life. I have watched documentaries. I have read books over the past several months that I got from the library. I have eBooks. I have completely done a deep dive into van life. So I will also say this as someone who doesn't own a van, I don't want to come off as the reason I don't want to come off as someone who has intrinsic knowledge of van life is I think back to my childhood. One of the examples, I mean, my go-to example would be skateboarding. And so there were a group of us who, may not have been the most hardcore skaters in the world, but we did skate. We had skateboards that were scuffed up from us trying goofy tricks. We had skater shoes and skater shirts. And, uh, you know, we didn't live in California or Florida or different places where these big contests were going on. We lived in Oklahoma, but we did skate. And then you would go to the local skate park or a local ramp or things like that. And there would always be these kids walking around with brand new skateboards. Some of them very expensive ones. Some of them straight from the shelves of Walmart that had never been ridden. They had brand new clothes. No, they didn't have any uh, holes in the knees of their pants. You always saw them carrying their boards around, but they never rode them because they couldn't. And so there was that kind of, uh, poser mentality. They were trying to glom onto something that they weren't really involved in. If you're a fan of, if you're my age and you remember Beavis and Butthead, of course there was Beavis and Butthead who wore their uh, Metallica and ACDC shirts. And then there was their friend Stuart who wanted to be like Beavis and Butthead, who was always wearing uh, a winger shirt who was, you know, not a very metal band, but he was just trying to be a part of that. So I don't want to come off that way. I don't want to come off as the guy that's over to the side saying, yeah, I know about this because, uh, I know what I know from what I've read, uh, from listening to so many people who have talked about their vans and talked about their experiences with van life and reading these books and watching these things. And I am very interested in dipping my toe into this world. Now, uh, I, don't have any interest in living in a van full time. And that does separate me from a lot of the van life community and what we're going to talk about. So uh, again, I don't want to present, I live in a nice house. <laughs> we have a pool. I have a workshop out back. Uh, I have two kids. Uh, I have a normal day job. And a lot of these things are the things that people from the van life community want to get away from and not, not the family. I don't want to imply that, but they don't want to be tied to a house. They don't want to be tied to a, uh, a day, a nine to five day job where they go into an office and, and all those sorts of things. So I'm going to talk about all that, but I just wanted to set that up in the front that I, I, I know about the topic. I don't know about the topic firsthand. And so I, I think it's fair to say that before I dive into this particular episode. Now, as I began watching these videos, these van life videos, and there are thousands of them, there are blogs, there are websites, uh, there are thousands of YouTube channels, and I'm not an expert in Instagram, but it seems to be that most of these people and more are only on uh, Instagram. So there is a big following of van life on Instagram. But as I begin to 
dive into this topic, I had all these questions. And because I have a background in journalism, I tend to divide questions up into the five W's or the, you know, who, what, when, where, why, and also how. And so some of the questions I began to write down were like, who are these people who are converting these vans? What is this going on? What is inside these vans? You know, where are these people parking these vans and why do they want to live in a van versus an RV or a tiny house or maybe a mobile home? Uh, I mean, one of the biggest questions is where do they go to the bathroom? <laughs> so these are all questions that I began to write down. And so I will answer all those questions and a lot more in this episode as I try to go through this as logically as possible, but it's a pretty big topic, but I, it's very, very interesting to me, uh, this, this entire community. So let's start off with talking about who are these people that are living in their vans? What is van life? Well, I don't know that there's a, uh, a set definition that every single person, and there's going to be in this episode, a lot of generalities. And of course, as you know, generality applies to a kind of like the bell curve. You can apply it to a lot of people, but there's, it's never going to apply to everybody. And so I will try to, um, you know, try not to, to apply things to everyone, but in general, van lifers are people who choose to live inside vans that have been converted, uh, into let's say homes on wheels, RV style homes on wheels. Uh, there's all different types of vans. We'll talk about that in a minute, but the idea here is that they, a lot of van lifers live in these vans. Uh, they have a term for normal houses. They call them sticks and bricks. <laughs> and they, a lot of these people, some people have sticks and bricks houses that they return to, but a lot of these people don't. A lot of van lifers have given up their homes and given up most of their possessions and moved into a van and choose this as a lifestyle. Uh, so I keep using the word lifestyle. I keep using the word choice and I keep using the word statement. So, uh, a lot of the people that you read about that are in the, uh, van life community have made a conscious decision to get rid of their things. Now there are people who, you know, have had some sort of tragedy in their life. They've lost their home. They've lost their job. And so for financial reasons, they have chosen to move into a van. But a lot of people just are tired of the traditional way of living. They're tired again of that nine to five job. They're tired of, uh, you know, just the normalcy of life. They want adventure. They seek traveling. And so this is a way to do that. And so those are the people, uh, you know, I kind of made some categories and as I wrote down the names of the categories, I realized that number one, they're very generic and number two, some of them weren't very flattering. So, uh, as I go through them, I'm going to try to, to explain what I mean by these different groups. But, uh, before I get into that, let me say this. I read a statistic that in the United States, approximately 1 million people are living in vans full time. Now that number seems high to me, but I can tell you that there has been a huge uptrend during COVID, uh, because of either people losing their jobs or people deciding to become mobile during this time. 
So there has been a, an upswing. So that number may be the actual number. Again, it I don't know that there's any way to to actually count the number of people that choose to live in their vans because a lot of people move into their vans because they want to be off grid. They want to check out of some of the parts of society. So I don't know if this is a, that's an actual number, but I did see that number online. And these are people again, full time. They live in their vans, uh, 24 hours a day. They live in their vans, 365 days a year, which another thing that we'll talk about, that means living in a van in the dead of winter. That means living in a van in the middle of summer. So there are lots of different things that you have to take into account. If you're going to live in a van, year round. Uh, I wrote down the phrase, these people eschew modern society and jobs. Again, that's a generalization. I know that it probably doesn't apply all across the board, but in general, a lot of the people that you see talk about their vans, uh, don't live in a van, but also work for IBM. You know what I'm saying? And it's not, I don't mean to say that they don't, uh, live in a van and make a good living or they don't live in a van and have a job. Many, most of these people have, it, it's pretty tough to live in a van and not have any income at all. There are expenses involved in living in a van. They may be less than a traditional mortgage, but they're there. It does cost money. And so, uh, so they do have jobs, but they may not have the type of jobs that you and I have, or that we think about. Um, and when I say you and I, I hope there are people, I hope, my dream is that people, that someone who is living in a van right now will hear this podcast someday and contact me. That would be uh, the ultimate dream for me. So when I say they don't have jobs like you and I, I should say they don't have jobs like I have. Uh, and, and so they some have creative jobs. Uh, some have jobs where they work mobile. Some have jobs that are seasonal. There's a lot of different ways to earn money uh, to live in a van. So to categorize the groups of people that I would say make up the van life community, number one, uh, I just kind of wrote hippie. I don't mean that in a derogatory sense. And I don't think if you referred to some of these people as hippies, they would take it in offense. Uh, but these are the people who, I mean, I think of these people as the traditional van lifers. They don't want to live in a house. They don't want to pay property taxes. They don't want to mow their lawn every day. It's just, they don't want that, that ideal, whatever that ideal of society is. They don't want to do that. They want to travel. They want to experience life. They want to do, I mean, these are people that go out and while I'm sitting at a desk, they're out surfing <laughs> or doing whatever it is that they love to do. So that would be the first group, I would say. Uh, there's another section of this population that I wrote down are houseless. Uh, I try not to use the word homeless. I, I think houseless is more appropriate here. Uh, but these are people who, again, through some sort of life experience, have lost a home. Uh, you know, it could be from uh, a fire, like physically something lost. Uh, they could have had a financial tragedy. Uh, I watched the movie Nomadland and the uh, protagonist of that film falls into this category where she worked in a small town in a factory and the factory closed down. She lost her house and moved into her van out of necessity. So I would say that is a category. 
uh, van lifers. There are outdoorsmen, and I would category uh, categorize these people as people that love the outdoors. They love to hunt. They love to fish. They love to hike. They love to rock climb. They love to do all those things. And by living in a van, they can travel to these places that offer those experiences. So they don't work 40 hours a week in an office and then on the weekends go out and, and repel these are people that are living in state parks and they're traveling across the country for long periods of time going out and doing those outdoor activities. We have tradesmen, I wrote down as a category. On YouTube, I've seen a lot of videos of people who do construction work, people who do woodwork, people that work on building houses, and they travel to these sites and they live in their vans. I don't think they live at the actual uh, work sites, but that's what they do. So where the work is, they travel. Uh, I know that I have seen online, uh, there's at least one blog of a single woman. I, I don't, I didn't put this in my notes, but, uh, you know, and I'll put it at the end. We'll talk about the demographics, but, uh, a single woman who is a nurse and she gets a different assignment every three months or six months, and she lives out of her van. And so she travels to where it is, the next hospital, and she stays in the van for six months and then goes somewhere else, and, and that's uh, uh, what she does. So that type of, of trades work, whether it's, it's um, you know carpentry or house building or whatever, but something where they, they are mobile around the country for their work, uh, they, there seems to be a, large, uh, a group of those people. I wrote down Instagrammers. I don't know that Instagrammers are in and of themselves a group of van lifers. Uh, they probably this probably applies to one of the other groups as well. But there are people who have chosen this lifestyle, and it seems like they've chosen this lifestyle because they make money by blogging or sharing pictures or sharing their life experiences on Instagram. Now you could put Instagram in quotes and say, maybe they have, uh, it's maybe it's YouTube, right? Maybe it's something else, but it, Instagram seems to be uh, like a centralized hub for a lot of this. So there are people who are, it, it, it I don't fully understand whether the, how the cart comes before the horse. I don't know if you quit your job and, build a following on Instagram and then you start making money either through sponsors or sponsored posts, like, you know, getting paid for YouTube videos or, uh, Patreon, things like that. There are people that are, that are living off of Patreon. So I don't know if you head out first and then you get the sponsors and hope that eventually the sponsors pay for your adventure, or if you get the sponsors first and you make enough money to go out and have your adventure, I don't really know how that works. Um, but, but there does seem to be a group of people that are doing this for the sake of doing this, if that makes sense, uh, for the sake of sharing themselves doing this, let's put it that way. Uh, I wrote down yuppies and again, I don't mean that in a derogatory sense, but what I mean by that is people who are choosing to do this, uh, not necessarily not for a financial reason and probably not some of them are full time, but I think 
by and large, these are people that are not giving up their traditional homes. I think these are people that are going out on month-long road trips in what I would consider to be nicer vans, more expensive vans. I think probably, here's one of my generalizations, I think some van lifers look down on this group because they are possibly buying an experience or spending, you know, more money. I, you know, I have seen this and of course we see this in every, uh, uh, different type of social circle. We see it in retro video games all the time of people that, uh, <laughs> think about all the people on the planet, right? I mean, billions of people. And then you narrow it down to how many people like to play old games and then, which is a pretty small group and then go, how many people like to play old Nintendo games. And then that's a pretty small group. I mean, compared to all the people on the planet, right? And then how many people like to play this tiny little game? And then those people will argue whether or not it's better to play it on an emulator or on the original hardware. You know what I'm saying? Like it is such a tiny minuscule group compared to everybody at the beginning. And yet those people will argue with one another. Uh, so Seeing that in what I've seen in van life is not unique. It's not a unique situation. Uh, but, uh, you know, I have seen people like the do-it-yourself people really turn their nose up. Or some of them turn their nose up at the people that go in and buy a ready-made van who walk into a dealership, buy a van that's been converted, get handed the keys, press the start button on the van, you know, have uh, heated wooden floors and, and uh, a shower inside the van and, and a lot of amenities that a lot of these vans don't have and hit the road. And if anything goes wrong, they call triple a, <laughs> or they go to the nearest airport, they fly home and someone tows that van away to fix the van. So, um, I, I think the people doing that, I don't think that they don't have a right to do that. I think anybody could enjoy anything any way that they want to, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else. But I don't think that they have the same goals as some of the other van life groups. Let's put it that way. You know, I, I remember reading a thing online one time about a time traveler who, who uh, would theoretically come to the future and think that a, a smartphone was literally like magic. Like how could you imagine anything more amazing than a smartphone, a, a computer, a personal, uh, persistent or a personal assistant, a game player, a, a phone, a camera, all these things in this thing. And then to find out that people argue whether one brand is better than another brand, you know, it just, they, they couldn't fathom <laughs> that happening. And so, uh, in, in a way that that's kind of, uh, uh, what I see happening here. Uh, the last two groups, number one is uh, retirees. I see a lot of retirees and there are reasons that people choose vans over RVs or other types of, uh, vehicles to take on vacation. I'll talk about that in a little bit. And then finally we have the category that is probably, uh, the lowest, not that any of these were ranked, but on the lowest, uh, and it's definitely the one that I would fall into, which is the weekend warrior. And these are the people that um, acquire vans, they convert vans, and they go out on, you know, weekend trips or they go on small little trips, but they don't give up the comforts of home during the week. They don't give up that nine to five. So it is it part of 
it's part of the same actions. It's part of the same activity, but is it in the same spirit as some of the other ones? Probably not. Um, but I can tell you that's definitely uh, where I will fall. I'm, I'm not going to sell my house. Uh, my wife's not going to sell this house. <laughs> my kids are not leaving this house. My kids are not. If I get a van, they're not coming with me uh, on a van trip. So uh, it will definitely be something that I will most likely be enjoying on my own. So who are the people converting these vans? By and large, it's the owners of the vans. People get help. But if you go to YouTube, don't do it now because we're all having a fun time talking about van life here. But after this show is over, you can pause the show. But you could go to YouTube and type in uh, camper van build or stealth van build. We'll talk about stealth vans here in detail coming up. But there are ways to build these vans. And, and one of the great things about social media and YouTube is people have already made all the mistakes. People have built and converted vans the wrong way, and they have found the best way to do things. And you can learn from that right off of YouTube. So as I talk with my friends, my friend Andy, who is an expert uh, woodworker, my friend Jeff, who knows way more about electronics than I do, and my buddy Sean, who is a uh, just a talented like jack of all trades. He can do woodwork. He does wiring. He does everything. And as I bounce these ideas and drive these guys in my life crazy, as I obsess over purchasing a van and converting it, one of the advantages that I have is that I can look on YouTube and say, oh, this is how they build a sink or this is how they wire electricity or this is how they do these things. So people have already solved many of the problems that come with converting a van into a thing that you can stay in, that you can live in and sleep in. Uh, so that is, uh, uh, again, one of the, the great things is that you can do this yourself. It's on a small scale. I've one of my favorite YouTubers is uh, a girl named Esty Bain. I will link to her in the show notes, uh, but it's, I always want to say Etsy, like the site, but it's Esty. I think it's short for like Estelle, E-S-T-Y. But if you search YouTube for Esty Bain, this is a young woman who had a camper van. It broke down. I mean, you could follow her whole journey over the past three or four years. She had a camper van that broke down. She had a second van and she sold it. And she is now currently converting, I think, a, a school bus and a van. I know she's working on a couple projects now, but she's basically turned her passion for living in a van and camping in a van and traveling in a van into a business where she is converting a bus and a van in hopes of selling those and making some money and reinvesting that into more. And it's, it's very inspiring to watch someone who is half your age, which I hate to say that phrase. Oh my gosh. But someone who is half my age sit there and say, I don't know that much about tools. I don't know about this and watch her videos. Sometimes she releases a video every day of 
well, I, I put in the flooring or she painted a bus with a paintbrush. And I went, you can't do that. You can't paint a brush. <laughs> you can't use a paintbrush and paint a car. And she did it and it looked fine. Uh, she puts, she loves putting in skylights into these things. I mean, it's just fascinating to watch someone younger with no fear to tackle these projects. And it does inspire me in a way that I think, well, if, uh, not to downplay uh, her abilities uh, because she's obviously very talented when you see the, the finished product, but for someone who says that she has very little experience doing this, it's inspirational to think I also have very little experience doing this and to see how she does things. That is one thing I will say about the van life community in general is that they are all very, very open. Everybody wants to show you their van. Everybody wants to share what they've done, uh, the creative ways that they have solved problems. And so to watch her take these vans and gut them out and, and put in new interior and, and do the wiring and things like that. It, it is, uh, um, uh, you know, inspirational, but also, uh, it, it's, it's, um, reassuring. It makes you think that, that also you can do it. So, but by and large, the people that own these vans are the ones that are converting the vans. They and their friends are, are doing these as weekend projects. Now there are companies I looked at, Road Trek, which is the word road and then T-R-E-K. They have been around for many decades. Uh, they sell turnkey camper vans, the big, tall, high ceiling vans. I'm going to talk about vans uh, as the next topic. But uh, you can buy a van that has already been converted. You can walk into a showroom, buy this van, and drive away on your new van life adventure. Their vans range from 130,000 to 180,000 on the front page of their website. Um, I have watched many YouTube videos where people have talked about vans that they have spent two or 3000 for and spent, uh, anywhere from a thousand to several thousand dollars converting them. So there is a low end, there is a high end. Um, but as with any pro project, the more that you do yourself is going to be, uh, you know, more money saved, right? Labor is expensive. So now since I mentioned this, let's talk about this. How much do these vans cost, which I, I kind of mentioned, but also what kind of vans are people using? What are people converting into camper vans? Well, the answer to that is, Van, star dot star, <laughs> anything that is a van, people have converted into a camping van. I have seen vans that are super old, vans from the 70s. I have seen uh, on roadtrek.com vans that are 2022 vans, brand new vans off the lot. They take them, convert them, and sell them. I have seen the smallest vans you have ever seen. You would think I wouldn't want to ride in that small van, much less sleep in it. I have seen giant uh, vans, you know, the, I always call them Amazon delivery vans, but those type of vans with a big tall ceiling and the slope people, that's a very popular model. Uh, there are very cheap vans. There are very expensive vans. I mean, basically, if you have a van, it can be converted into a camper van. Uh, and a lot of these people don't have, uh, unlimited funds. They either already own a van or they have a set amount of funds and that's what they have to work with. So not everybody has 
uh, $20,000 to spend on a van. Not everybody has $10,000. Not everybody has $5,000. So, uh, you know, people look for vans that are in their price range and then work with what they get. The smallest vans I see that are normally converted are Ford transit vans. You've probably seen these running around town. They look like minivans, but they're pretty short. Uh, a lot of them have sliding doors on both sides. I typically see these as delivery vans for flour. There's a local flour company near me that has one of these vans. There's a food delivery place that has one of those types of vans. Uh, I looked up the length of the van and it was 170 inches, I think, for the small one. My car, which is a Ford Flex, is 190 something. So this those vans are two feet shorter in length than my car. So there's not a lot of room to work with in those vans, but people do it and they are very popular for, uh, again, what I refer to as the solo demographic and especially solo women tend to, uh, really like this. If you look for Ford transit, uh, camper van, you'll see a lot of women on YouTube who uh, give tours of their van. So that, that seems to be a pretty popular model. Some minivans are more popular than others. Um, the key for a minivan and for really any car that you're going to turn into a camper van is you want to start with a flat, uh, flat floor. So things like the Chevy Astro, which, uh, is flat all the way through is a great minivan to use. It's not very large, the other problem with the Chevy Astro is that they stopped making them in 2005. Now, Chevy replaced that with the Chevy Uplander. You can find a lot of Chevy Uplander conversions on YouTube to see. The Chevy Uplander, I believe the interior height at the highest point is around four foot, uh, maybe a little bit less, like 46 inches. So this is not a van you're going to stand up in. So people with more money and people that are looking for longer trips – often look for taller vans, uh, people that are, uh, you know, doing, you know, working within a budget perhaps, or already have one. I've seen a lot of Chevy Uplanders converted. So you can't rule out any size of van for converting something into van life. Uh, there are a lot of old cargo vans. Uh, old cargo vans are very popular for stealth camping, which I'm dying to start talking about. Uh, but, Old cargo vans come in different sizes and different uh, weights. Um, not not the actual weight of the van, but how much it can pull uh, and how much you can put inside it. So, of course, you have traditional half ton. There's three-quarter tons, full ton vans. You're going to be putting a lot of wood and other weight inside this van. So if you can buy a heavier-duty van, also three-quarter ton and one-ton vans uh, have um, – more, uh, they have heavy dutier parts. They may have a heavy, a transmission that's more heavy duty, uh, or shocks or suspension. So, uh, you know, it, it can take the weight a little easier. Um, there, you can also do, uh, passenger vans, which are going to be, you know, vans that, that have lots of windows. There's a big argument about windows, uh, because of, you know, you're going to want a certain amount of privacy uh, if you're camping in a van. And so a lot of people buy vans that have windows and then they build covers to cover up the windows because, you know, it's hard to 
change clothes inside your van when you got windows all the way around. So, uh, that that's kind of a, a give or take thing. The one good thing about most passenger vans is that they're already insulated. Uh, if you buy a cargo van, like I was talking about, you're going to have to put in insulation. So, um, I, you know, and, and I don't need to go into the details of all that stuff, but th- there's just different things to consider depending on what type of van you're starting with. Now, if you have a little bit more money to spend, That's when you start looking at those high top transit vans, uh, those sprinter vans, the Mercedes vans. Those are the ones like the Amazon vans that you could stand up inside and boy, wouldn't that be nice. Um, but unfortunately when I look at them for sale, they're, you know, $20,000, $30,000, which is out of my budget for a van that no one wants to go in except me. Um, uh, some people, You'll see this a lot on YouTube. Have converted things like box trucks or school buses. That's really a little bit outside of the concept and the spirit of van life. It's it's very doable. You can run into a lot of issues with things like that. Um, one is insurance. Like if you buy a school bus, insuring a school bus is different than insuring a traditional Chevy Astro minivan. Um, in fact, in, in my state, in the state of Oklahoma, for anything that carries more than 15 people, you have to have a, a, a commercial driver's license. You have to have a CDL license. So you're adding a lot of complexity in regards to insurance, in regards to, um, you know, the license. I can't, I, I, my neighborhood has an HOA. I can't park a school bus in my driveway, but I can park a van that nobody knows has been converted to a camper van, you know, um, AAA is not going to tow your school bus somewhere. <laughs> so there's a lot of, of other things involved when you when you start looking outside the box a little bit at vehicles. Um, I did want to mention some of the other passenger minivans, like, um, oh, gosh, what is the Dodge version? I don't know. But the Dodge, you know, like a Honda Odyssey, all those. They're not popular because the floor isn't level. They have floorboards and the bottom is very lumpy and which is difficult to build things on. So by the time you level out the floor, there's not very much headspace in those types of vans. So, uh, I have seen people convert those. I have seen people convert uh, pickup trucks. I have seen people, uh, I, there's a video that I watch of a lady that lives in a, uh, uh, Prius. <laughs> so those aren't really van life type vehicles. Um, but you know, at some point you, uh, you do what you need to do. So when you start talking about these vans and van life, one of my questions is what is inside these vans? What kind of amenities do these people have? Uh, and the answer is they can have anything that you have in your house, but you have to make concessions. You're going to make concessions on size. You got to make concessions on power. Um, and you have to make concessions on uh, space, right? So you can only have uh, small things. You can only have so many of things. There's only so many places to store things inside a van. There's not a lot of storage room. So, um, here are a lot of the things as I have thought about building my own van that I have gone through and made lists looking at people's videos at some of the other things that they have put in. So right off the bat, uh, there's flooring. Now, the most common thing I have seen in these vans is, uh, hardwood flooring or laminate. So, if you think about a cargo van that's completely empty in the back, uh, people put down a layer of insulation and then they put down either a half inch or three quarter inch uh, plywood. And then they put 
some sort of flooring on top of that. That could be um, like tongue and groove flooring. That could be strips of wood. That could be laminate on top of that. But, you know, think so that's kind of the idea. And then you would build the rest of your van on top of that. Now, most people also do something to the sides as well, uh, unless it's a passenger van that already has some sort of insulation and molding on the sides. But, you know, for a cargo van, you would, th- you would do the same thing to the sides. You'd put insulation, then you'd put up a layer of wood, and then you could attach shelves or cabinets or whatever else to that wood that has been attached directly to the van's frame. Uh, w- one thing I just want to say before I go further, and it's something I don't think I mentioned anywhere else in here, but I've seen a lot of videos where people just put cabinets in and they don't secure them or they put different things in their van. And uh, I was always taught as a kid, anything that's in your car that isn't bolted down in an accident becomes a projectile. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to imagine what would happen in a van if you're doing on a highway and you hit something and then a, an entire sink or kitchen cabinet comes flying at you. So uh, I would just say, uh, you know, I, I watched a video of a guy who said he, he, put in his bed and he didn't bolt it down because it was wedged in the sides. And then he put in the sink and wedged it between the front seat and the bed. So he said, it's never going to move. And I thought, boy, it's never going to move until you get in an accident. And then you're going to have a bed on top of your face. So, so, um, I, again, I'm not an expert, but it would seem safer to me if you attach things permanently to the van so they don't, uh, shift around if at all possible. Next up, I would say one of the things that most people look at are the kitchens in these vans. Now the kitchens can be powered by electric. You could get inverter, uh, cooking stoves. You can get, I've seen ones with air fryers. I've seen people with blenders. I've seen, you know, any type of thing that you could have in your kitchen. The caveat there is that as we'll talk about shortly, electricity, is a premium. You're always balancing how much electricity you're using, how much of every utility you're using. And so you have to have a really beefy electrical system to run a microwave. Uh, a microwave would be like at the, uh, I haven't seen too many vans that have microwaves. Uh, most of these, a lot of them have propane, uh, cooking, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a little cooking uh, burners that, that hook up to either portable small propane containers or they've been modified to connect to a larger, like a 20-gallon propane tank. But propane seems to be pretty popular for a lot of the cooking, uh, uh, different things like that. So that would be uh, – but, you know, in regards to the kitchen, you got to think about because this is your van – and you're customizing it for you. So you have to think about what do you need? Uh, if you're not a person that does a lot of cooking on the grill, then you might not need this. Uh, if you make more sandwiches or you do different types of things that, you know, that's really, that's a, a theme that I'll repeat throughout the entire show is that every one of these vans are custom. They're all custom made for the owners. So, uh, you know, whether you go propane or electric or whatever, it's up to you, you know, anything that, uh, um, that makes sense to your lifestyle can be put into these vans. They also, most of them have sinks, uh, underneath the sinks, they have different tubs, um, containers that can, uh, hold fresh water 
or gray water. Now, gray water is the water that goes down the sink. Like you, you don't want to drink gray water. And uh, fresh water is obviously water that's okay to drink. A lot of these people uh, refill their water at RV camps. You can refill your water containers at uh, kiosks uh, in the parking lot of grocery stores. If you've ever seen those kiosks, um, there's lots of places to get water. But basically, that would be the idea of a, a, a sink. You would have a place to get water to drink or water for washing your hands uh, or possibly cooking or maybe washing a plate. Um, the actual sink faucets, I have seen hand pumps where you use your hand and it creates the suction from the water. Uh, so you have a little pump and it literally pumps the water out. I've seen foot pumps. There are electrical pumps that run off of an electrical system. They're kind of loud. It's kind of weird, but, uh, those would be probably give you the experience as close to home. And then one of the greatest things I've ever seen is a USB powered water faucet. This looks just like a water faucet that's in your house. And it runs off of you. It has a USB battery in it. Uh, you recharge this thing through USB battery. It says you can pump like 40 to 50 gallons of water before you have to recharge it. And then when you recharge it, you just plug it into one of those USB battery backs and recharge your actual faucet. But on the bottom side of the faucet is a spot for like medical tubing. You just run the tubing right down into your fresh water container and it just pumps it up. So you Turn it on, turn off just like a normal faucet. I think that's such a great invention. I've thought about out of my workshop getting getting one of those and building a little thing just so I can have uh, <laughs> a little water faucet out there. Um, I will mention this on gray water. A lot of people collect their gray water and then dump it out. Uh, they take it to an actual place. Like when they get out at a campground, they dump it there. Um, I did watch a video of a guy who does not have a gray water tank. He has a pipe that runs down through the bottom of his van. <laughs> and so when the water goes through a sink, it goes through a tube and right on the, on the ground. I don't know if that's unethical or not. I don't think that's terrible to, you know, dump used water on a parking lot. I don't think, I don't know. I don't, I don't find a problem with that, but that doesn't seem to be a common solution, but I, I have seen it. Um, next are refrigerators. Um, the one thing you have to decide on it, well, there are two big decisions. One is if you want AC power versus uh, DC power. Um, I don't know if there are propane. I think there are propane refrigerators as well, but, uh, AC power is of course, 110 current. So you've got to have a uh, voltage regulator. You got to have a power inverter. You have to have all these things, but they do have, um, refrigerators that don't use a lot of power, but they also have DC ones that a DC is, <clears throat> it would work right off of a, I would call it a cigarette adapter. Although I guess we don't have cigarette adapters. We just have 12 volt utility ports at this point. Nobody calls them cigarette lighter adapters anymore, but it can plug directly into that. And it doesn't use that much electricity at all. So that is a great invention. The other choice you have is whether you want a upright style, like a dorm fridge style. Think about that versus a, uh, a chest. They have refrigerators that are shaped like an ice chest and you open them from the top. They have ones that are only coolers. They have ones that have coolers and refrigerator 
segments in there. So you can have a small freezer section and then a small refrigerated or cooled section uh, in the same device. They have them that are uh, 10 quarts. I saw one that's 48 quarts. They go up from there. I saw one that was 64 quarts. So whatever size that you have. And again, I would purchase this based off of what are my needs? Am I traveling around with a lot of frozen goods that I'm going to cook or do I need enough to put a few bottles of water and, and stuff in, you know? So, uh, depending on how much space in your van that you want to take up, I did read one thing that I thought was interesting and I hadn't considered this, but in general, we know from science class that heat rises. So in a chest style refrigerator, when you open it, you're letting out the heat, the cold air stays inside the chest. And so technically, according to science, that is more efficient than a dorm style, which is going to let out both heat and cool air whenever you open a door. Um, not everybody has refrigerators. There are a lot of van life people that only have an ice chest. I, everybody I've seen that only has an ice chest says that they wish they had a refrigerator. Uh, I think having only an ice chest means every day or every other day you are dealing with ice and you're dealing with water and probably dealing with water leaks or condensation. So that would not be ideal in a permanent van setup. Uh, not for me. So, um, like I said, most of the people I've seen with ice chests and videos say they wish they had a refrigerator. So, um, you know, at the end it's up to you, but that that's what I've seen. Uh, next up is one of the biggest questions that I had, which is where do people pee pee and poo poo? Now, the most luxurious solution to that is a composting toilet. And there are vans with composting toilets. I'm familiar with composting toilets. I've never used one, but I'm familiar with them because of tiny houses, of watching those shows, and also RVs. On Amazon, a composting toilet sells for between $1,000 and $1,200. So this is the most uh, most expensive, but probably most comfortable. And I don't mean that necessarily in a physical, although probably also physical way. But at the end of the day, uh, whatever comes out of your body is going into a container that has to eventually leave your van and go somewhere else. That could be at a dumping station, at an RV park. That could be buried in a hole out in the desert. Hopefully it's not through a hole like that guy's sink that goes out to the parking lot. <laughs> um, but if you want a composting toilet, you're looking at $1,000 minimum. One step down on that would be uh, um, the portable camping toilet. Now on Amazon, these look to cost around $150. These almost look like the little training toilet that I used to have for my kid. Um, you go to the bathroom in this and, uh, and you don't really flush it. You run this little switch and it goes into a cartridge that can then be removed and emptied out somewhere else. I see a lot of people who say they take them into public restrooms and empty them that way. That thought horrifies me. I really can't imagine walking into a McDonald's 
with a big plastic thing and saying, hey, where's your bathroom? I've got something to, I want to leave in there. And that sounds terrible to me. Um, but, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs. And maybe it's not that bad. It also looks very low to the ground, the one that I've seen or the ones that I've seen. So maybe you could build a platform to make it slightly taller. I don't really know. But that's the 150 range. Uh, in the $30 range, Amazon has a product called poop in a bucket, which surprisingly, or perhaps unsurprisingly is almost exactly what it sounds like, <laughs> which is a toilet seat with a airtight strap, uh, snap on lid that attaches to the top of a five gallon bucket. You do your business in the bucket when you're and now, Oh, whoa, 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 no, don't do your business in the bucket. Inside the bucket is also a trash bag. There is a liner in the bottom. You can put sawdust and, and different things to kill odors. And it also is like a Ziploc airtight bag that you put in there. Um, you do your business in the bag, which is in the bucket. That's a very important step. And then you close the lid, which is supposedly uh, airtight, and you put the bucket somewhere. And now you're driving around uh, a van with a five-gallon bucket of dookie in it. <laughs> I might not have made that sound like the most appealing option, um, but that one's a big $30. Now I've seen a lot of vans that don't have a bathroom at all. Uh, ooh, there was one other option. There is the very unglamorous, uh, pee bottle, which I have seen many people refer to. So there are a lot of people that don't have bathrooms at all, but they have a quote unquote pee bottle for emergencies in the middle of the night. But the rest of the people use public bathrooms. They use bathrooms at, uh, campsites. They use restrooms at road stops. They use restaurant, uh, restaurant bathrooms, grocery stores, gas stations. They don't have any way to go to the bathroom in their actual van and they it, it, I, I believe this. I totally believe this. I watched a video with a lady and she said, uh, after a week or two, your body gets on a fairly regular schedule. So I, you know, she said she wakes up in the morning. She, uh, you know, wakes up, makes her coffee or whatever. And then by, you know, eight or nine in the morning, she's somewhere where she could go to the restroom and she goes to the restroom, you know, before bed. So, uh, that, that's a very, very common choice. It's not have a bathroom at all. Um, a couple other things. There is a, uh, a lot of these vans have roof fans, uh, exhaust fans. And this is very important because of what's going on. Of you living in a van, uh, can create a lot of condensation, can create a lot of standing water, your mattress, um, you know, may get sweaty and this can lead to, uh, mold in your van. And so these exhaust fans, um, can be used in combination with cracking the front windows, but just keeping this, uh, fresh air moving through the van can eliminate smells. Um, it's very useful for when you're cooking, but also, um, as someone who has slept in his car before, uh, it is one of the most miserable experiences of sleeping in a car with your windows up in the middle of the night. It's, uh, you'll wake up and think you're living in a humidifier. It's terrible. Um, Let's talk about heaters. Multiple choices here. I'm going to speed up the pace here because I didn't realize how long this is going to be another long episode. Uh, heaters. You can have an electric heater. Problem with electric heater, it takes a lot of electricity. 
Um, the smallest electric heater on Amazon is $20. It's a 500 watt, uh, heater, which means, you know, the, uh, I'll talk about battery systems here in a minute, but a thousand dollar battery system and electric heater of that size will drain in two hours. If you think about those tall, like I have a tall 1800 watt heater, it wouldn't even, it wouldn't run for half an hour off of that thing. So, um, it's, it's inexpensive to purchase. It's very expensive to, to maintain running. Uh, other solutions are DC powered electric blankets, which are not very expensive and are, uh, relatively, they use less electric than a, than an AC heater. There are diesel heaters for a little over a hundred dollars. And that's very common. They, they use uh, diesel fuel. Uh, they are not loud, but it sounds like a diesel engine running underneath your car. And most people mount them underneath their car. Uh, it uses about one fourth of a gallon per hour. So if you run it, you know, for eight hours overnight, that's two gallons of diesel. So that can add up. I mean, that would be $10 right now. Uh, there's also propane heaters. There are, uh, propane heaters are roughly the same price, maybe a little bit, uh, cheaper than a diesel heater. But as with anything that you do in a van, if you're dealing with propane, you're dealing with diesel fuel, any of that stuff, check into the safety stuff first. Um, you know, I, I put at the bottom here some some safety things, but uh, it goes without saying. Like, you don't want to be in a van running a propane heater without windows cracked, without some sort of ventilation system. Bad idea. Um, finally, there are a lot of surprisingly <laughs> a lot of vans uh, that have wood burning stoves. I think it's so neat. Uh, it takes up so much space. It's so impractical, but. You know, there are guys that are living in northern Canada in vans that have little wood-burning stoves that just – it just looks absolutely dreamy. Uh, it looks like so much fun. Um, air conditioning, not many of these vans have add-on air conditioning. It's very expensive to run, uh, you know, unless you are at a campsite where you can plug in and get external – they call it shore power. Uh, so if you're – you know, quote unquote docked and you have shore power, you can run uh, an, an extra air conditioner, but most of these vans use fans for their ventilation. Uh, I'm going to jump down to showers because I think this is really interesting. There are expensive vans that have internal showers. So they have a small shower pan. Uh, they have a shower curtain. They have some sort of way to fill water and, and, and produce water in the shower, but much more common are external showers. Those are the ones I wanted to talk about. I have seen, uh, these five gallon bladders, I would call it, uh, that are black. They sit on top of your van. So they are heated by the sun and they basically work off of gravity. You get out of your van and what people do is they open their rear van doors and then they attach basically a shower curtain between the two doors. So you've created this little space in the rear of your van where you're standing on the ground outside your van, but you're, you're blocked from the view and you can hook up a little sprayer and take a shower right there. Uh, I've also seen, there's a really cool hack where people are putting PVC pipes on top of their van, like a four inch PVC pipe. They paint it black. So again, it will get heated by the sun uh, you can pressurize those by using a bicycle pump. I've seen, I've seen people do it with a, a 12 volt, uh, tire inflator. 
and, uh, you know, actually create a pressurized shower out of that. Um, lots of different things. I, you can, um, I have seen ones that are heated by propane. Uh, so that would be nice because a lot of these people complain that these showers will wake you up. They're warm, but they're not cold. Uh, we have truck stops around here. Lowe's, uh, no, not Lowe's, Love's, uh, Love's truck stops. And I always see in the back showers. And so I looked that up because a lot of these people say that they just stop at roadside places and they pay for a shower. Love's charges $12 for a shower, uh, which seems expensive to me. I would think if you're having a shower every three days or something, I mean, even if you have four showers a month, that's 50 bucks. Well, yeah, 50 bucks. So um, that seems like an expensive solution. The a cheaper solution is Planet Fitness. And this is what I see a lot of van life people doing is they uh, go into they well, you Planet Fitness has a membership that's like $25 or less that gives you access to every Planet Fitness across the country. So you can go to any Planet Fitness and every Planet Fitness has showers. They have treadmills. They have bathrooms. So people will park near a Planet Fitness, and in the morning they will go in and they will do all their morning things there. They will shower. They will go to the bathroom, whatever. And that is $20 a month, which is way cheaper than $12 a shower. I am considering now breaking this into two episodes. So I have – a couple of final things to mention about what go in the vans, and then we're going to cut this, and I will make a second episode because I am halfway through the list. I've got a lot more to talk about. So um, the other thing that you can put in your van or that you have to put in your van is some source of power. You're going to need power more than just what your normal vehicle offers. You can't operate off these things off of one 12 volt adapter and one, uh, power inverter or whatever. So the first thing is a lot of people add additional batteries. They add a second battery in the rear of their van or a third battery in the rear of their van. Uh, you can add a, I believe it's called an isolator to charge those and keep that battery system separate from the battery that starts your car. So when you're driving, you can use this um, isolator to charge those batteries while you're driving. But at night, you can flip a switch so that those batteries don't drain from your main battery. So even if you run out your your rear of the house batteries, you can still start your car in the morning. So that that's important. Um, they also sell portable batteries. Now the most popular brand is Jackery, but there are other alternatives and all of the alternatives are cheaper. So Jackery is the name brand, but I I would say they were the name brand, but I now I would just say they're the biggest name brand. So they sell these Jackery things in different uh watt uh wattages uh and how much power they can they can save up and use it in their battery. Now, what's cool about these is that they use, I believe, lithium ion batteries versus traditional, the old school, like they're not using car batteries. So they're relatively light. They're like 25 pounds and they sell them. There's like a 240, there's a 500, whatever, but the thousand watt Jackery, basically for Jackery, you can 
plan on paying around a hundred dollars, well, a dollar a watt. So the thousand, the Jackery one thousand is actually eleven hundred dollars, and it has a thousand watts. Now, if you're a math nerd, you're gonna love this part of the show because, um, I mean, I'm not gonna get into a lot of formulas here, but we've all seen wattages on different devices like old school light bulbs that let's say you have an old light bulb and it's a hundred watt light bulb. Well, that means it uses a hundred Watts of power per hour. hundred, I'm making sure I said that right. A hundred Watts per hour. So if you have a thousand watt Jackery, it can run that light bulb for 10 hours. So if you plug a lamp that only runs that one light bulb, that's 10 hours. So think about that a minute for your for your power, right? Now, uh, let's talk about a – I have a 10-inch ring light. Uh, I don't really use it that much, but for, for doing videos and things like that, I have this 10-inch ring light. It is USB, and it uses 5 watts. LED lights use so little electricity, right? So a five watt light plugged into this thing, you could run for weeks and it wouldn't run it down. So that's how you have to start thinking about your power. If you want a microwave, my microwave is 1300 Watts. So, I mean, every time you microwave a burrito, <laughs> you're Jack and, and actually the Jackery only does a thousand, right? So, so a 1300 watt thing, it will just shut it down. It'll overpower. It wouldn't even work. Um, so there are smaller blenders. There are smaller, uh, I've seen people use air fryers. There are smaller, uh, appliances that can be used with these, but that's where you got to start thinking about your power consumption. How much power do you have? How much do you need? And how are you going to recharge it? Now, all of these things like, uh, the Jackery and the batteries in the back can be charged from your alternator. But the Jackery can also be charged uh, from a 12-volt port. It can be charged from an AC port. If you went to someone's house, you could plug it in and, and recharge it. Uh, I mean, it's a cute little box with a handle on top. And then on the front, you've got USB ports. You've got uh, 110 outlets. You've got uh, a DC port. You've got you know all these things to, to plug into the Jackery and the Jackery, as as well as all these other the other name solutions, allow you to charge uh, or use the ports while it's charging as well. So you know it you could have it plugged into the wall and still be using your USB ring light or whatever. Um, so yeah, you can charge it through AC. You can charge it through DC. You can also charge it through solar, and solar is a big part of van life. Not everybody has solar. But if you have power consumption needs, and I suspect that I would be one of those people, solar is a free way to collect power from the sun and funnel it back into these things. Now, solar is the slowest way to recharge these batteries. Solar is also dependent on the weather. So on cloudy days, you don't get as much solar power as you would on a sunny day. But that's definitely uh, an alternative. And I've seen lots of 100-watt solar panels for around $100. I saw two for $200, and 
and then you could wire a connection down into your van and charge up your Jackery or your uh, the the uh, rear you know additional batteries that you've added. So um, again, we talked about adding propane. That that's another thing. Again, I can't stress enough. If you're gonna start messing with propane or or adding diesel to the inside of your van. Uh, you really need to to watch videos and talk to somebody that knows what they're doing. Don't just don't just put a, a propane tank in the back of your van and and uh, not strap it down <laughs> and and not understand the the safety uh, you know things that are involved with that. Uh, I own a device called a kilowatt. I bought it many years ago. I absolutely love it. If you're a uh, a nerd type person. Uh, you should pick one up They're They're inexpensive on Amazon. And what it does is you plug the kilowatt into a wall and then you, and it has an outlet on the front of it and you plug a device into that and it will show you how many kilowatts or how many Watts that device is currently using. So if you want to know how many Watts a lamp is going to take and what I just did was plugged my CPAP into it because if I'm going to go out on a van adventure, I'm going to have to have a CPAP at night. So I need to know exactly how many uh, watts that my CPAP needs uh, with the heater or without the heater because it has a, uh, a built-in heater to heat the uh, uh, the water that goes into uh, uh, through the system. So, uh, you know, a way to do that before you get out on the road and just find out that you don't have enough power, you can look at, at the things that you own and see how much power uh, that they're using. So uh, the last thing on the list here before I get into stealth camping, and we'll start the next episode talking about stealth camping, is where do people park these vans? Well, there's a lot of choices. Number one. Some van life people only park in campsites, uh, just like an RV. They go from campsite to campsite, uh, and they pay their $5 or $10 a night, and they, they pay and stay at campsites just like people in RVs. There are also a lot of free parking spots, um, Anything that's national land you can park at for free. We're going to talk on the next episode about apps that will tell you about free places to park. The... Uh, another, the big thing that we're going to kick off the next episode with is stealth parking, also known as urban camping. Now this is to me, the most exciting thing about van life. And I think it is a fork in the van life. Um, I mean, there are people that do all the above, right? So let's just say that there are people that do stealth parking and people that park at campsites and people that park at all these places. And I think in reality, if you're living in a van, that's probably your reality. You're probably parking at all those, those places. Um, but stealth camping is kind of about parking in, it's kind of blending in. It's not parking out on federal land. It's not parking at campsites. It's parking at Walmart. It's parking in the city. It's parking in places where you wouldn't expect a van to be. It's the most interesting aspect to me personally about van life, which means I have a lot to say about it. And we're going to talk a lot about that in the next episode. So, um, the other thing is there are apps where people will give up their driveways, for van campers. And you can go online, you can pay for these apps and get connected with people who will let you stay in their driveway. And so you make an appointment 
and while you're traveling, you can find if there's uh, people who are willing to let you park in their driveway. And and I think there are varying degrees, like some will let you use a restroom or, or let you use power or hook up to water. Some say you could park in the driveway and that's it. You know, so you, you have to look at the apps. I have those apps listed. We'll be talking about those in the next episode. Um, but that is an option. But so that's basically the the things that I've seen, like campsites, like normal camping, um, free parking spots, of course, then stealth parking and then driveways. And then the reality is probably all the above. I think, I think people that are living in vans sometimes will park anywhere they can. And so, you know, <laughs> they may have a preference, but if that preference is not available, they're going to go down the list because at the end of the end of the day, you got to park somewhere, right? So, uh, we are at the almost the hour forty five minute mark, and so what we're going to do is call this the end. We're going to call this Van Life episode or part one, and the next day. I will be releasing Van Life episode part two, where we will continue and we will kick off talking about the very interesting and secretive world of stealth camping. We've got a lot of other things to talk about, about Van Life. So if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to listen to the next one. That wraps up another episode of You Don't Know Flack. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at robohara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave a message on the podcast hotline, which is 405-486-YDKF. If you'd like to find out more about supporting my show, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara for more details. All of my patrons get behind the scenes blog posts, weekly rando Rob videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. You Don't Know Flack is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and the RSS feed at podcast.roboHara.com. To hear more podcasts from me like Sprite Castle, Cactus Flags, Throwback Reviews, and Like a Doss, visit podcast.roboHara.com for links and information about these shows. Congratulations. If you made it this far, you know a little bit more about me. I'll see you back here on the next episode, or maybe I'll see you in my van down by the river. Finally, this podcast would not be possible without the support of listeners like you. Thanks to my 8-bit supporters, Alan Hennessy, Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Brian Barr, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, C-Dubs, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Dave Velociraptor, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Strianisi, Extent of the Jam, Gabe DeGenero, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Hacker Radio, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warns, John Treholt, Jose Cazada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matthew Peron, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Nathan Dagenhart, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Petzl KZ9Zap, Rad Max, Rydar and Christopher Bow, Retro Trace, Robot Doctor 82, Scooter Prime, Scott Lambert, Scott Meredith, 
Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, The Slow Norris, Travis Gussie, Zeke Pabsky, Zerfall, and The Mysterious Cobra Kai. Extra special thanks to my 16-bit supporters, Bill Spear, Boathead Tavern BBS, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, Drone Doctor, Edward Smith, Graham W. Vebke, Joe Sharippa, John Morrison, Matt Nicholson, Matt Smith, Paul Nermix Nermanen, Rick Reynolds, Scott Van Drasick, Steve Sharippa, and Vintage Volts. <laughs> 